welcome to our second episode of the Admissions Dissected audio series, The Insider's Guide on Getting Into Medical School. This episode today is about uh, extracurriculars. Yeah, boy! <laughs> so we're going to cover a bunch of different extracurriculars and uh, tell you more about all of them. So the kind of things that we have on our list are clinical experience, research, volunteering, international slash study abroad experience, and uh, personal achievements, which is a very broad category, but we'll get into all of it. This is basically the meat and potatoes of your application. It's going to either make or break your admissions. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that will make or break your admissions. But this is one of the most important things. Like, If anything, this is like the most important thing. If you are weak in terms of like your transcript or GPA, this is the place. Or your MCAT. Or your MCAT. This is the place where you can shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rihanna. So, just to provide some context, we know people with low GPAs and MCATs that have gotten in based off of the strength of their extracurriculars and also people with, like, perfect GPAs and really high MCAT scores that uh, sometimes don't even get an interview because they have so few extra or high-quality extracurricular activities. Um, so, we can start off by talking about clinical experience. Okay. So, when I sat on the admissions committee, I can tell you that clinical experience was actually one of the most important things on a person's uh, application. As a matter of fact, if you didn't meet certain hours, we would actually just not consider you at all. And what were, what were those hour limits, quote unquote? Uh, I believe it was roughly 100, 100 hours, um, which is not that much, um, but that's the bare minimum. If you had anything less than that, um, it was kind of looked, it wasn't looked, you, weren't, you didn't look that great. And uh, it makes sense just to provide some context that if you're going to be going to medical school, you should know like what a hospital looks like or what how you interact with the patient. Basically, what, what you're getting yourself into. Exactly, and all that falls under a clinical experience. I swear to God, I had one applicant who never even shadowed a doctor or even that. <laughs> uh, no, I can't make this up. So, um, needless to say, that person get in, but. This is like, honestly, and you have so many different avenues of getting clinical experience. You can shadow a doctor. That's usually the most um, classic way people uh, have clinical experience or clinical hours. Another one is like volunteering within the hospital in the emergency department, being an EMT, PCA, CNA. And I think you did some research too in the hospital too. That counts yeah, as so my, my clinical experience involved um, doing clinical research within a hospital, which is uh, where I got a lot of my hours and then also shadowing. Um, so for the clinical research program, it was something that I think I either found through the pre-med society at my, uh, undergrad institution, which is a great place. Your pre-med society, if you're an undergrad, is a great spot to get, uh, opportunities sent to you. But you don't have to be in the pre-med society. It's not make or break. It doesn't. Right. Yeah. So like, if you're not in the pre-med society and it's not one of your extra, it's not like one of the things we look at, like, all right, you guys are not in the pre-med society. You can't make it. To <laughs> but it's a great resource yeah. for finding opportunities. So the thing that I did was I was a research assistant at a hospital, basically enrolling patients in studies in the emergency department. Um, and I was able to get a lot of hours that way. It was mostly like on the weekends during undergrad, like four hours on a Saturday for like... How many hours did you have in total? Um, 120, I want to say, over two and a half years of doing that. Oh. Um, <clears throat> I know. not. I know it's not as much as Omar no, wants, no, that's but good. that's a lot. I had 3,000. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the the rest of my experience, I think I probably had 50-ish. I think I had 120 total. I think I had 80 or 90. Um, 80 probably in the hospital. And then the rest of my clinical experience was shadowing doctors, which I think added up to like 
forty hours. Um, so I was somewhere around, I was somewhere around one hundred twenty, low hundreds. Nothing like Omar's three thousand. But regardless, you need to shadow a doctor. Like you need to shadow a doctor. And if anything, a doctor needs to write you a letter of recommendation as well. And we'll get into that later yeah. on. But um, so can I say what I did? Wait, hold on. I just want to talk about the actual like getting into contact with the doctor. So like. For I think a lot of our classmates and maybe for you, Omar, a lot of the ways that people ended up shadowing a physician was family, friends, or someone they knew, or their own doctor, and they asked to shadow. Um, and so it can be tough if you don't know that many doctors to like find a way to shadow. But I found that a lot of physicians are very open yeah. to. People are really scared to approach doctors. Even me, like approaching attending and asking them for advice or anything, I feel is very intimidating. But honestly, you just let go and go ask. I mean, you have nothing to lose except, I mean, not even your dignity. They don't really know you. If they say no, then <laughs> so be it. Like, right, you have nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but, just to explain one more thing as we go, I think it's worth explaining little words and lingo. Um, an attending is just oh, someone yeah. who's a supervising physician of residence. It's basically where, like, when you make it, you become an attending. Exactly. Because <laughs> you're attending overall of the patients in the hospital. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so shadowing is really important and it can be intimidating to ask a doctor, but um, if you don't have a connection or someone you know that you can ask, asking your own doctor, or I think at one point I was literally cold calling different doctor's offices and asking if they're open to shadowing physicians. And then again, your pre-med society, good, uh, good avenue for opportunities. I mean, like doctors were in your position in your shoes um, before, so... At one point, but, yeah. yeah. So like... At one point, everyone was in <laughs> lowly pre-med um, so yeah, Omar, tell us about your clinical experience, your 3,000 hours. <laughs> All right, so I did some research like Sean. Um, I did research with a surgeon uh, um, in a hospital nearby. Um, it was. And how did you get that opportunity? So actually, uh, we, my high school had like a research class. Okay. And, wow. and we, I did like, I wanted to go into medicine from like the get-go. So I knew I wanted to do like medical research. And I reached out to this surgeon. He said, sure, I'll do, we can do some research. Did you email, call him? I emailed him, okay. and he didn't respond, so I called him. I am so annoying when people don't respond. I just need a response. I mean, <laughs> honestly, you can say no, but if I don't get a response, then, you know, I'm like, and I feel like that's one of the reasons I tend to do so well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, so to that point, I think it is worth uh, calling and actually talking to someone, I think, is always more fruitful. Yeah. If they don't respond to your emails, give them a call. Like, hey, I don't know if you got my email. And usually they got your email, but it's just a good way of, like, you know, like, just you, sometimes yeah. people are just too busy to respond to emails, but if you have someone on the phone, then I also was an EMT. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so I was a volunteer EMT. EMT. I absolutely loved it. Um, I worked in my local town. I would respond to nine one one calls. And could you, could you explain first for people that don't know what an EMT is? EMT is an emergency medical technician. Um, senior yeah. year. Of, they're the people that ride in the ambulance. Yeah, they're yeah they're basically they're the ones who run the ambulance. They're the ones in the back treating you and the ones in the front driving the ambulance. Um, we usually rotate, but the um, you can do that through a course. I took a six-week course this summer before my freshman year in college, and I had my license, and I practiced all throughout um, college four years. And I just did like one weekend. It was like a 24 hours or maybe a couple days during the week during vacation. And honestly, I loved it. It was so much fun, especially going like turning on the sirens and oh man, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> and was this paid or volunteer work? Oh, it man. was volunteer. 
Right. Uh, you can get paid too. It's not like right. volunteer looks good, paid. I mean, it's the both look the same. You just need that experience, you know. Right. And the, I was just trying to bring up that point in that the certification can be expensive, right? How much did it cost you to get certified? To oh, like I think over a thousand dollars. Right. Um. So just kind of know what you're getting into. That a lot of positions do end up being volunteer only. Yeah. But you need to invest in yourself. Honestly, those kind of things. I feel like you just need to invest in yourself. Um. Yeah. But you don't need to be an EMT. So many people are EMTs when they apply. It doesn't really make or break your application All right anything else on the clinical experience you wanted to comment about i think that's it just like i think the most important thing is getting hours you know over at least over 100 hours and shadowing a doctor i agree i mean that the kind of doctor or physician that you shadow i don't think is uh, all that important no. um i mean if you only shadow like i don't know an orthopedic surgeon that might not look great um, because they're so specialized or if you only shadow an eye doctor they are, you know, there's, they're so specialized that, um, I think the admissions committee, uh, would like, and interviewers yeah. would like to see that you've kind of seen more than just one specific specialty or very, mm-hmm. um, yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to move on to research? Any last comments? Yes. No, for research. Okay. Right, research. Um, so we had tears on my admissions committee. Um, so you, what is research first off? Cause this is something I didn't know before getting into college. I didn't know what research meant. Like going to the library, looking at books. What is research? Uh, can you answer that? <laughs> so before college, you know, I would hear people talk about research. So I was like, Oh yeah, like a research paper. Like you go to the library, pull up a book, but that's not at all what research is. Um, at least in the life sciences fields, research is, uh when you know you open the news and someone says oh scientists have found blah 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 that's like what research is about um it's a lot of it can be bench lab bench work um which is like growing cells or maintaining cell lines um, or it can be in the library you can do like an analysis of like shakespearean like literature that's perfectly fine too right basically can i say what research is it's academic original academic work yes you're trying to find something and expand in whatever field you're working in right whether it be chemistry arts blah 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 but usually the way it works is that in a university you reach out to a a college professor and usually most college professors are doing research because that's what they need to do you're like hey i'm really interested in your work and you have to be kind of genuine because you you want to do research that you kind of like and then they'll take you on, and then hopefully you get a publication. And a publication is basically like peer-reviewed work, so something that you've provided to the field. You produced, yeah, produced, completely yeah. original. And like other people in the field have looked at it and said, "Yes, we agree. This looks good." And we the, the data is valid and everything. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's that's what research is in a nutshell. Right. And so, for example, in our um, undergrad year, there were a ton of people that like produced documentaries and that counts as research. And like I did, um, I didn't do any lab bench work in a wet lab, quote unquote, where you're actually like working with real things. I was in a dry lab working on, uh, simulations on computers of different molecular systems. So it was all in a computer. It was all original work. Um, and Omar, you can kind of explain what you did. So I worked on polymers. I was a chemistry major in undergrad, and I did a lot of work just making gels. Um, seems really boring, but I loved it. It was really fun. I did it for four years. How long did you do your research for? Uh, I did it for the from sophomore year of college through to like kind of ish now. I go back every so often. To I think the most work. important thing with research, I think, is um, staying committed. I mean, I if agree. you like, we don't want to see applicants who've like applied to like 
10 different labs. Yeah, right. like been in 10 different labs for like a month each. I don't think that that yeah, no. would really mean. Because, it might be a red flag. Yeah. Research takes time to actually get some sort of publication and actually work in the field because you become almost an expert in whatever field you go right. into. And I think that, that part of it, showing that commitment, um, is just something that the admissions committee is looking for to highlight that you, you can be committed to something uh, because medicine requires so large of a commitment from you. And now on the topic of just how you get into a research lab, um, I ended up just kind of emailing like between 20 to 50 different professors and hoping one would respond. I think like three or four responded. And uh, one of the, the one that I thought was the most interesting is the one that I ended up interviewing for kind of informally and then joining that lab for, um, I think now five years. Yeah. And for me, for me, it was my uh, chemistry professor freshman year i really liked the work he was doing so i reached out to him like hey can i join your lab he's like yeah sure and i just joined i mean it was very laid back nonchalant i remember i went into the he told me to come meet him in his office and i wore like a suit and i put on some cologne and i walked into his office and he just looked at me and he was like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) (laughs) sorry i shouldn't ask one but he also was allergic to the cologne i was wearing i'm like i can't make this up and so he was like trying to breathe and he was having trouble breathing so he's like can you please leave but he's like you can join just, just leave but he still lets you join <laughs> yeah. um and so just you know the the best the goal that you should have when you join a research lab the ultimate goal would be producing um a publication um but i think most people don't have a publication when they apply to medical school so it's not a must-have but it, it's like one of those things that if you do have will make your application look a lot nicer and also, research is one of those things that can save your application um, if you don't have, um, say, the grades or the MCAT score. A lot of people will take a year off, and we'll have the whole thing about years off, but they'll do research for a year or two. And when you do a research for a year or two, then that's when we want to see that you have some sort of publication. Um, yeah. And all of this, you know, you adds to extracurriculars because you'll pick up skills like... Um, Technical skills for the specific field that you're in and all those things look more impressive. Um, but kind of end point, Omar, would you say that research is a requirement or not? It depends on the school you want to go to. So I feel like a primary-oriented school, a primary care-oriented school, um, it's not really necessary. I right? would agree with that, yeah. But if you want to go to like a specialty-oriented school, like a top-tier school, they 100% require it. I don't know about 100% required, but... You probably want to do research if you're applying to more competitive schools than otherwise. Yeah. Um, and again, time commitment. So like Omar and I were both in our labs for like a few years um, and presented a few posters at uh, local university uh, conferences as well as some national conferences. Um, and kind of on the same lines, one of the other things that looks really nice that goes along with research on your application is if you get grants, research grants. Um, so I think a lot of our undergrad university did, I think a lot of them do, uh, offer different stipends or grants or fellowships for research uh, to kind of encourage people to do research. Um, so for example, Omar and I did programs where over the summer we were paid a stipend to do research for the summer in the labs that we were already um, doing research for academic credit in. And those things are nice because they show up on your resume as an award or a fellowship or whatever it is, um, and it can pay. Um, so I paid off my summer rent with the money that I made over the summer Making money moves. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, we'll cut to break, and we'll be back to talk about volunteering. Do you like that? Cardi B, Rihanna? Rihanna? 
If you like what we're doing and want to support us, follow us on our Patreon. We're doing this podcast on our own without any support from any institutions and would deeply appreciate any support. Our Patreon supporters get access to extra episodes, extra content, Q&A sessions with us, and the opportunity for you to have us review your application and receive personalized feedback. I know Omar would love to give a lot of feedback. I'd love to see your feedback, guys, or your applications. (laughs) You can follow us on our Patreon at Admissions Dissected. All right, and we're back from our break. Um, So our next topic for extracurriculars was talking about volunteering. Can I talk about volunteering? Volunteering is basically what it sounds like, volunteering. You can do anything in terms of soup kitchen, working at like some sort of clinic, but it doesn't really make your application stand out that much, I feel. Unless you're working on something really unique. I see most people apply to soup kitchens, and it's just like people do it. I mean... I think the big thing with volunteering is that you should be doing it no matter what. Uh, just helps you be a better person. You're putting good out into the world. And uh, if you are volunteering, it should be something you care about. Um, so, for example, I really cared about um, food, uh, deserts, and availability of food. And so I ended yeah. up volunteering for a soup kitchen. I forgot we did that. And, and Omar and I both did this We program. would drive every morning to, like, the cafeteria pick up like leftover food from the day before yeah. from the library and take uh, it to a soup kitchen. Yeah. that was so much fun yeah so that was a good experience because it was like an issue that i really cared about um like food waste and food availability um and i don't think it would have made or broke my application if i did way more hours or if i'd done zero hours of that um but i feel like you need to get some volunteering there like you need to show that sure. you like volunteer like you're an altruistic human being because at the end doctors are somewhat altruistic you know do no harm and if you don't like volunteering at all, then medical school might not be for you. Just yeah. like as a side note, because it you just you, you should be doing good in the world, and um, doctors do good. And then next thing we're going to talk about is volunteerism, study abroad, and doing volunteering. We're not going to talk about volunteerism, bro. It's on there. No, what's on there is study abroad and international experience. That's volunteerism. No, we could talk about volunteerism at some point. But we should start off by talking about international experience. What's the international experience? You freaking went to China. You did research there. It's an international experience. I studied abroad. Okay. And then we can talk about the so the good okay. Uh-huh. And so for our next topic, um, well, we should summarize volunteering. Volunteering is basically something you need like to do. It's <laughs> you should just do it. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you do, but you should be volunteering. Try to do something genuine that you genuinely love to do. Something that's interesting. Right. Um, and try to show a commitment just like with and show shirts. passion honestly when you talk about it if we ask you about it during the interview and you're like yeah I did soup kitchen blah, 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 or like yeah I did the soup kitchen it was great we can tell whether or not you're really passionate about something and whether or not you did something for the sake of doing it or you did something because you actually care about whatever exactly. you're doing yeah. so volunteer and care about what you're volunteering about or volunteering for so for our next topic uh, we have international experience and study abroad experience so i can talk about the study abroad experience because i feel like mine was very cookie cutter generic um, but i really enjoyed my experience um so i would start off by saying i don't think anything in this category is uh, required or even expected of most applicants you could never do anything internationally or study abroad and you would be fine but um 
I personally found I studied abroad in uh, Salamanca in Spain, and I've personally found that it kind of uh, opened my eyes to the differences in cultures. I'd never really been to Europe. Um, gave me like opportunity to reflect on myself, why I was kind of applying to medicine, um, what really mattered to me, all those things. And I was able to get a really cool cultural experience out of it and take some interesting courses, pick up uh, or improve my Spanish a little bit. Um, and I was only there for about six weeks and I took two classes. Yeah. So you just had the opportunity to go when you want. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. I think it was worth it, but it, it was expensive. Um, so I ended up using almost all my money from a summer internship the year before to pay for all of it off. Good boy. On the other hand, <laughs> I went to China, Shanghai, for like three months. And it was an all-paid experience because I was actually doing research there um, at a lab uh, in Shanghai. Absolutely phenomenal experience. The best experience I ever had in my life. And it was just introducing, you know, new cultures, new languages. Um, it had nothing to do with medicine. Um, but I really liked it. And I think the way that all of these things, kind of all these experiences relate to why the admissions committee cares is are you adaptable? Are you open to new experiences? Medical school, medical school is like very challenging and you are faced with a lot of scenarios that uh, people that are not in medical school are not doctors never do. It's like we cut people open. That's weird. Like it's a new experience. You have to be adaptable. You work with people from all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to work with them, interact with them. Um, there are some days we have to wake up at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> and we do that in hostels where people are great. So like it's just, it's just like a good experience. Um, but again, not required, um, not even expected, I don't think. But if you have an opportunity, I would say go for it if you can afford to. Um, so those, I think, would we would describe as like the good international experiences. On the flip side, and I'll let Omar talk more about this. Let me tell you. Tourism. <laughs> so basically, I absolutely 100% hate, hate, hate these trips to... Like, Latin American countries, you go to, I don't know, like, Africa and help the poor black children build an orphan. You take pictures. Build an orphan? <laughs> or build an orphanage. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, like, take pictures, post it on Facebook, cry a little, write this really, like, sappy post on your Instagram, and do some sort of, like, medical work. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. And it absolutely drives me crazy because i see so many applicants have this kind of like extracurricular and this is actually where i ding people on during the interview because i'll ask them about it i'll tell you guys like i'll be like so i see you went to africa to do some like research or like you did some clinical experience or not research but clinical experience there I'm like so tell me what you did and like yeah so i like took blood pressure measurements and handed out people like drugs with you know and just something really really basic and i was like you spent $5,000 to go and take blood pressures. Like, you can teach someone for, like, $50, like, someone in the village to take a blood pressure. I just feel like it's, like, reminiscent of, like, the colonialist past that we had, especially, like, this white savior complex. <laughs> I, I will say it. I, I will say it. As an African, I'm a North African. <laughs> I just hate it. And I feel like it does more harm than good. In all reality, it does more harm than good. It doesn't create a sustainable sustainable solution for these communities. It basically allows these communities to rely on, on I don't know, it's just like, it, I don't know, it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. So if I could, if I could maybe articulate some of the feelings that Omar has, because I've, I've listened to a lot of these rants. <laughs> so these trips... Oh, so not every one of these trips is a, is bad. I'll start off with that. The ones that Omar is talking about are ones that do not produce sustainable change, that do not actually help the communities that these uh, 
service trips are intended to help long term and that are, I guess, like vain or done in vanity more for the benefit of the person going on the trip than the people they're quote unquote serving. So, for example, um, I think Omar, you inter- you told me about this a long time ago. You interviewed someone who went to Africa and would like blow up the balloons oh, yeah. <laughs> that that would go next to like kids' beds. And like, if you don't have any medical training or experience, and you go on a trip like this and pay all that money to blow up balloons of all things, like that was all they did. And like, it, it, and she started crying during the interview, and like, it just reflected really poorly. I don't recommend crying during the interview as well. But she was talking about how. Blowing up balloons was one of the greatest experiences of our life. And I was like, God dang it, those $10,000 you spent to go to Africa would have been better spent on actually providing someone care there or buying an ultrasound machine there. You know, it's just like, and I asked applicants, like, did you find your trip actually beneficial? And I asked them straight up, like, do you know about volunteerism? And if they say no, then I ding them about that because you need to know the effect that you will have on people and communities because that's what's going to happen when you become a doctor. So I'm a <laughs> social justice warrior. <laughs> Uh, just just to, just to kind of further clarify some of these arguments um, and uh, make Omar's points a little more salient. Bro, why? <laughs> well, I, well, I want to explain some of the specific things. To, like, well, explain, why do you have to explain what I say? Because you sound just to so give, dumb. <laughs> just to give specific examples. So the blue example is one thing where that money didn't really help anyone that was spent on the trip. It was more for the person that went than for the kids that... The balloon supposedly. Oh, like another there. example you talked me was rebound hypertension. Right, so I was going to talk about that. You can oh. go for it. So basically, like some of these trips are so detrimental, like they can actually kill people because what ends up, ends right. up happening is you go up and provide temporary care. You provide them blood pressure medication. For, right, so like for people that go with like a suitcase full of medications. Yes, yeah. and it's like they'll give you like a three-month supply of blood pressure medications, right, to these uh, poor, poor villagers who have really high blood pressure. Those three months you leave and they continue taking their meds until it runs out. So what do they do when it runs out? Nothing, because they don't have access to the meds anymore. And their blood pressure comes back even worse, and it can actually kill them. Right, so that's the idea of like rebound hypertension. The, the problem there isn't that you went and you gave medications. It's that you went with an organization that was not providing sustainable care, that was not continuing to come back, didn't have someone on the ground continuously. That's like dangerous to the people you're quote-unquote providing care to and not helping them. It's more for your own benefit, for your, quote, your application. And I also feel like we have so many like – uh, underserved communities here within America itself. Like, I just feel like we should also focus on communities here in America. Um, but And then, so, this is kind of a nice segue into our next and last topic. For oh, this wait, episode. can I say the one more thing sure. about this? The one thing I do like to see is that there is community-oriented, um, like, growth and sustain. Because we're talking about sustainable solutions. Yeah, I was going to talk about... So I was going with this thing. But what? Emily Keller. Emily Keller? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And this is a nice segue into our next topic, which is personal achievements. Um, so one of, one of our classmates uh, started an organization, graduated college early, started an organization, went to Guatemala. And on the surface, it might seem like what we were just talking about, where they went to a foreign country and were trying to be a savior to the people. But this person actually made sure that the organization always has someone in the village, has constant communication with the village, is... Um, sending supplies pretty constantly, continuously visits at least a couple times a year during medical school, um, and has provided sustainable care for these people and is constantly addressing the needs that come up. Um, I think it's helping the community adapt and grow. Exactly. Like basically, you're just allowing the community to grow on itself and providing some assistance and coordination from the outside. Right. So, like when the I think it was the volcano came to Guatemala, 
they had people there already that were already providing care, providing assistance and food and all other things to people that were affected by that incident. Um, so that kind of also ties into our the, uh, next topic and last topic for this episode, which is personal achievement, um, which is, again, very broad, but just like doing anything that we haven't already described. So like for that person, it was starting an organization that's still providing sustainable care to a village in Guatemala. Um, for me, my quote unquote personal achievement that I'm super proud of was being ranked in the top 15 in my state for table tennis. Hey, <laughs> ESPN. Dun, 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 dun. I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry. It's da, 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 da. <laughs> you bum. But right. So that was, that was one of my things. It has nothing to do with medicine, but it was just kind of something that I'm proud of and that shows that I'm a real person outside of school, outside of my other extra. Can I say what I was? I was an assistant chef. That was one of my proudest accomplishments. I worked in a, in a kitchen at a restaurant. An authentic Middle Eastern kitchen. <laughs> Mediterranean cuisine, all right? And I make, made, like, baklava and, like, helped with the pizza. And I actually generally enjoyed it. I don't know if I was really the assistant chef, but there was a chef, and I helped out the chef. So technically, <laughs> I'm the assistant chef. But that's, like, something I did. I see a lot of people write, like, they have, like, writing. Like, they like to do writing or cooking or starting a new company. Like, a, just, like, something you like to do on the side that makes you really stand out. Anything you care about. Um, don't do anything just for the sake of doing it again, kind of like we already mentioned, but something you care about. Um, it can be as broad as, like we were saying, being... Uh, playing ping pong. Playing ping pong. Table tennis, excuse you. <laughs> or starting an organization or being a chef or writing for a blog or whatever it is. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps up our episode. Any last comments about extracurriculars? Do it. <laughs> yeah, do them. <laughs> do them. Um, just do it. <laughs> And they are important, like Omar mentioned at the beginning. All right. Thanks for listening. Our next episode is going to be about uh, letters of rec and how to choose who writes your letters of rec, how many letters of rec to get, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see you next time on Admissions Dissected, Insider's Guide on Getting Into Medical School. If you like what we're doing and enjoy the podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share with your friends and colleagues. You can follow me on Twitter at Omar underscore dissecting or at admissionsdissected.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for your support. Thank you, guys.